Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, January 18th, we are studying Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. A leper comes to Jesus, and the Lord shows forth his will to have compassion on those who suffer from sin and its effects. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Vandercook. Pastor Vandercook serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and Shepherd of Peace Lutheran Church in Maumelle, Arkansas. Pastor Vandercook, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good to be back with you, Tim. So we get started this morning. Let's talk context. What have we seen so far in Mark's Gospel that will help us into the text for today? Well, as I'm sure has been noted by previous guests, Mark is a very fast-moving gospel. I mean, we're only in chapter 1, and we already have Jesus right in the middle of his ministry, or at least already in you know in the heat of it, in the heat of the, the ministry already. Whereas, you know, if you go into the other synoptics in Matthew and in Luke, you have infancy narratives, you have uh, genealogies and things like that. Um, but here we go straight from the baptism, the temptation, and then we have the beginning of his ministry, the calling of disciples, and um, and he's preaching and teaching in, in the synagogues uh, and so forth. And then in as we get into this verse, uh, these verses, 40 through 45, um, we get into this one particular uh, healing that Jesus gets into, that that it appears is probably in the context of all those healings that he's doing um, in the in the context of the synagogues and everything else. But uh, this one in particular uh, draws attention for reasons that we'll see as we go forward, where it really marks a shift in the way that Jesus is kind of forced to conduct his ministry. Mark has talked a lot about Jesus preaching and his teaching so far, but we haven't actually seen a lot of it, at least not in terms of the words that Jesus says. We get sentences here and there. We'll get a couple of sentences from Jesus today, not so much preaching and teaching, but instruction, at least to this one man. It, it, it's interesting to see how, as you said, you know, Mark just he launches us right into the ministry of Jesus. In Matthew, early on, you get the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, you get a uh, a synopsis of Jesus' first sermon in Luke chapter 4. In in John, you get these long discourses from Jesus as well. But here, you know, Jesus just keeps doing and doing, and, and today's text is, is no exception to that. We're going to see him heal a leper. So, Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 40. And a leper came to him, to Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, 
and people were coming to him from every quarter. That is the text for today. Mark 1, verses 40 through 45. Pastor Vanderkirk, the man that we meet is a leper. And I think we're familiar with lepers, leprosy, from the readings that we hear in church, but sometimes we need a refresher. So who's a leper? What's leprosy? Why is that something we encounter so often in the Gospels and in the Old Testament as well? Well, if you look at a if you look at a modern day definition of what a leper is or what leprosy is, you can probably find a very distinct uh, skin condition that that goes with it and some of the effects that come along with that disease. But in the scriptures, whenever we see leper, it covers a lot of ground. Uh, in Leviticus 13 and 14, you see in the Law of Moses there um, all different kinds of shapes and forms that these different uh, skin conditions can uh, take, and then also all the various rituals that are attached to them, both in the diagnosis of what exactly is this that this person has as they go and show themselves to the priest. The priest priest plays a whole role, uh, huge role in, uh, in both declaring a person unclean, first of all, of leprosy, and then whenever that healing takes place of, um, uh, of declaring them clean. Uh, you know, kind of the bottom line, though, is that you have this skin condition which makes a person unclean, and they all fall under that general category of leper or leprosy. Uh, and so, you know, here we don't know exactly what specific condition this particular man has, but one way or another, he is um, he is considered unclean because he has a skin condition. Uh, and the fact that he even comes into the presence of Jesus is already a, a, a big no-no. Uh, if you have leprosy, you are to be totally separated from everybody else, and everybody is supposed to stay away from you at the same time. Uh, and so you are, uh, in a, a term that obviously we're really familiar with these days, you are quarantined if you are uh, if you are a leper. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the, the most important thing to take from it is that having leprosy means that you are separated in every way from the rest of the community, and you are considered unclean. Mm-hmm. Uh, leprosy, and again, I appreciate the, the note that that could be a variety of skin diseases as we would identify them today. The thing about leprosy is that it, of the of the various diseases you could have, it seems that that one really helps make the connection between the physical side of sickness and the spiritual side of sickness. And I think in our world today, we don't always connect those two, but but the way that leprosy is treated, particularly in the Old Testament as we see it, the two are tied together, that to have this physical sickness of leprosy or another skin disease actually affected you spiritually. It made you unclean, which is a, a spiritual thing more than it is a physical thing. What Dig into that a little bit, Pastor Vandercrick, this connection that is particularly evident when it comes to leprosy. Yeah. Um, you know, you were, um, in fact, you even have this, this tying together, uh, and there's a caution that has to be made here because the uh, uh, some of some of the Jews of Jesus day would even make the connection that a person was uh leprous 
because they had committed a particular sin. So there was that connection that was kind of there between sin and disease. Uh, and they would actually point to a specific sin that a person had committed. Uh, and there's, there is some evidence of this actually uh, in the scriptures themselves. You have uh, when Aaron and Miriam oppose Moses in uh, uh, Numbers chapter 12, um, Miriam is stricken with leprosy by God. I mean, it's explicitly there in the text that uh, this is the form of punishment that God exacts on her for her um, disobedience uh, or for her rebellion against Moses. And then again, the same thing happens in um, uh, in uh, 2 Kings 15 and also in 2 Chronicles 26, uh, you know, covering that same passage where King Azariah is stricken with leprosy by God for a sin that's committed. Um, but there is that connection, yes, between uh, leprosy and sin. And so you have more than just a physical ailment here. It is a reflection of the, the sinfulness that a person has. Uh, and of course, we can point to the same thing with um, uh, with with disease to this day. We can't make that direct connection because we don't have a prophet that's here to tell us, hey, the reason why you have this or that ailment is because you did this or that thing. Uh, but the bottom line is, what is the cause for our um, physical ailment? What is the cause for physical ailment in general? Well, the cause is sin. Uh, and yeah, certainly we have that connection in the scriptures of uh, leprosy reflects more than just a physical ailment. Yeah, we want to be careful, as you said, that we don't tie an illness, leprosy or otherwise, to a direct sin that we've committed when we don't have the direct word of God, as you said. But we also don't want to fall too far off the other way and completely disconnect these things. Whenever sickness, yeah, whenever, whenever sickness strikes us, it should be an opportunity for us to remember our sinful condition and to repent. I mean, and that's, I think that sometimes is we miss that in our culture today. And, and maybe, I mean, you know, you mentioned the word quarantine, Maybe our times of quarantine and, and our time of sickness right now ought to be a, a time for us to recall that sickness is a reminder of our sinful condition and drive us toward repentance and faith in Christ. Right. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. So we've got leprosy particularly here. This leper comes to Jesus. As you said, it's already a no-no for him to do that. He should be staying off at a distance. It really is not something that Jesus should be doing in allowing him to approach. And we can talk more about that as the text continues. But the leper does come. He comes to Jesus. He implores him. He kneels before Jesus. It, it seems, I mean, it's. I don't want to read too much, but we know that the news about Jesus has been spreading around this region, around the region of Galilee. So it's not, you know, it's very likely that he's heard that Jesus has been healing people. What exactly he believes about Jesus at this point, it's hard to say much more than that. But he knows that Jesus probably can help him, or can help him, but it's a matter of what he wants. So the prayer that the leper offers, if you will, you can make me clean. Help us with those, just those first three words, if you will. And and maybe, can you help us in English? Because I think when we hear the word will in English, we think future tense, but that's not the word that's being used here in Greek. No, yeah, here we're talking about what is the will of God, you know, and what does, uh, what is the good and gracious will of God, to use the language from the catechism, um, 
what is it that God desires for us? What is it that God desires for this man? And so, you know, there's a humility here in the way that he's approaching Jesus that uh, I think you can see in a positive light in the fact that he recognizes that, you know, the, the desire of the leper is clearly that he wants to be healed. He wants his leprosy to go away. But the leper is also recognizing the fact that that might not be what happens today. I might not receive the healing that I desire. Uh, and so, you know, that's the type of humility we always have when we approach our Lord in prayer, is that we recognize and we present our petitions to Lord to, our, to the Lord in boldness and confidence, uh, knowing that we can approach Him as dear children approach their dear fathers. But we also know that sometimes the answer is not the answer that we want. Uh, and so it seems that he at least has that in mind here. You know, you're right in that we, we don't know exactly what his—we uh, don't know much about this fellow, really, other than the fact that he does come to Christ, uh, looking for the healing that he desires. But, you know, does he expect to receive it or not? Um, well, he seems to acknowledge that uh, it is if it is God's will, he will be healed. Uh, but if not, then that that's the way it is. The fact that he kneels before him, I think, says something. The fact that he approaches him with that kind of humility, again, it, it further illustrates the prayer, if you will. The, those words, if you will, or if you desire, if you want, if this is your will, Jesus, then you can make me clean, I, I think are often one— that's, a, that's a, a prayer that we struggle with as Christians still today. Why wouldn't it be? God's will to heal someone from leprosy? Why wouldn't it be God's will to I don't know, heal my loved one from cancer? Or all those difficult questions that, that we face in this life. How do we, how do we approach that, Pastor Vandercook? Well, I think we always have to remember that there are certain things that God promises in His Word, and those are the things that we can point to as uh, being the will of God. Um, and I think ultimately, we also have to keep ourselves focused on um, eternity rather than the temporal here and now. Uh, does God desire that we are healed of all infirmities? Well, yes, because our infirmities are signs, again, of uh, evil in this world. They are signs of sin in this world. They are signs of our own sin. Does God desire us to be free of that? Yes. But when will that happen? It's never guaranteed in the scriptures that it happens now, immediately. Uh, but rather, uh, you know, our, our Lord would point us toward um, the life of the world to come. Uh, you know, and we get glimpses of this, of course, throughout the Gospels, especially in Jesus' miracles, where he removes those effects of sin immediately. Uh, and it does happen immediately. Um, but we also know that it doesn't happen for everybody immediately. Uh, it's not that. I mean, if disease were wiped out during Jesus' ministry, we wouldn't have any disease today, you know, uh, but but it wasn't. Uh, and so we look forward to, uh, to, the, to the eschaton, to the end, when the last day comes, and then finally, whenever uh, evil is uh, completely defeated and put away, and the effects of sin are no longer there. Yeah, we, we always want to have an eye on the resurrection, maybe both eyes on the resurrection. I think uh, probably both eyes on the resurrection when it comes to these things. The reason that disease and sickness and illness are such bad things is because it's 
it's death on the way. And I think in, in the world in which we live, sometimes we forget that because thanks be to God, people don't die as much. There are many sicknesses and illnesses that medicine, that doctor, that treatment can stave off death for a while. But death always does come unless our Lord returns first. And I mean, even even this leper who is healed, as we will talk about more, you know, where is he now? Well, well, he, he eventually died. Uh, Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, he eventually died again. And, and it always has to be the resurrection that provides the ultimate hope. As we think about the healing that God gives, where does that healing fully and finally come? It's not in this life. It's not in this world that's passing away, but it is in the resurrection. And I, I, I think that's where, you know, that's why we pray, you know, if, well, you, you mentioned it. The third petition of the Lord's Prayer is, thy will be done. And then we pray the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread, recognizing that the, the will of God for our salvation goes beyond the needs of this body and this life and goes forward into the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. No, I just uh, just agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah, that this is uh, this is indeed a uh, um, uh, time that we we look at the will of God. Uh, we know that His will is done and will be done, uh, and um, we humble ourselves to what He has in mind for us, and recognize that, uh, as the hymn puts it, the will of God is always best. Now, the leper does pray, if you will. And then he says, you are able to make me clean. So take us into that part of the petition. Yeah, well, this is where you see the great faith of the leper here. I mean, again, he's seen what Jesus is doing already uh, earlier in uh, earlier in the chapter, um, as we have it now. Um, and so he's, he acknowledges the fact that you are able to do it. So it's never a question here of whether or not Jesus is is capable of healing the leper. It's never a question of that. But it is, uh, but rather there is a confidence here that he knows that Jesus can fix the problem, uh, and, uh, you know, he is able to do it. So, you know, if you go back to earlier when we were talking about just leprosy at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about how huge a role the priest plays in everything. If you want to be, first of all, to be declared unclean, the priest is the one that declares you unclean. And then if you want to be cleansed, you go to the priest for cleansing. Well, this leper doesn't go to the priest for cleansing. He goes to Jesus because he sees that Jesus has the power to do something, and Jesus could actually do it immediately. Uh, The process for being cleansed of leprosy was pretty long and involved. If you look at uh, Leviticus 13 and 14 in there, um, you know, it involved kind of waiting periods of seven days at a time to where you'd go back and the priest would check you again, and, and then he'd say, no, you know, you're not clean yet, or you are clean, or it's, it's this or it's that. But he goes to Jesus because he recognizes that, uh, in a sense, Jesus is better than the priest. Um, it really kind of echoes uh, what you see, the cleansing of the ten lepers that we have in Luke 17, where... Uh, you have the ten lepers who come to Jesus for healing because they also recognize, hey, Jesus Jesus can do something about this, uh, and he is able to do something about it right now, immediately. Uh, there's no delay here. Yeah, the the prayer that the man offers here in Mark chapter 1 is not the type of thing that he would have gone to Jerusalem to the priest to ask. He wouldn't have 
wouldn't have walked into the temple there and said to even the high priest, if you will, you can make me clean. Just wouldn't have done that. He would have needed to have had some evidence of his healing already, and then the priest would have verified that. As, as you said, it, I mean, it's laid out in the book of Leviticus for you. So the fact that this man offers this prayer to Jesus in this way, again, does indicate that he's got some idea of, of who Jesus is. And the immediacy of it, I mean, it really connects back to what we've seen from Jesus already. When he was in the synagogue in Capernaum, the people there recognized that his teaching had authority. And then he put that authority on full display when he cast out the demon with a word. And here again, the, the leper realizes that Jesus has that authority still for for this sickness, for this disease that he has. And so the leper offers the prayer to the right one, to the high priest. And I appreciate bringing up the Luke 17 passage too, the, the 10 lepers, and not to go too far afield, but it's always struck me in, in that text how Jesus, if I'm not mistaken, Jesus tells them to go and show themselves to the priest. And, and I've always thought only one of them actually did that. And it's the one who actually comes back because he gets it. And again, I don't, I don't want to read too much into this text, but it seems like this guy here in Mark 1 is the one who gets it too in praying this to Jesus and not the priests in Jerusalem. Yeah, I would agree. It's, uh, yeah, he certainly he certainly recognizes that uh, Jesus is the high priest here. He's the great high priest, um, better than the uh, better than the tribe of Levi could offer. So Mark gives us a note on one of Jesus' emotions: moved with pity. Verse forty-one starts. Take us into this. Is a I don't know, pity. I don't know if that's a strong enough word, Pastor Vandercook. But I'll let you tell us about this this Greek word: moved with pity. Yeah, um, ha- having pity, having compassion, uh, you know, he's very moved. Um, you know, he's got this this kind of emotional response to this man here of, of having pity. His heart, you know, and it really is the true character of God. We see the mercy of God uh, in this whole thing. Um, I, I, I uh, it, what what popped into my head as I was as I was pondering this verse was the very end of verse two of um, Entrust Your Days in Burdens, the Paul Gerhardt hymn, uh, which is uh, hymn 754 in our, in our hymnal, uh, Lutheran Service Book. His heart is moved by prayer, is the last, uh, is the last uh, words of that stanza. And uh, that's what you see here. You see that uh, Jesus is uh, emotionally moved. Jesus, the Son of God here, uh, is, is deeply moved by the need that this man has. You know, of course, there's so many different angles you can take on that. Is he moved by the man himself, or are we talking about the fact that Jesus is is troubled by uh, the effects of sin in the world and the effect that, um, uh, you know, that Satan has ravaged this person's body? And I think the answer is yes, all the above, you know, that you see the all of the emotions kind of running through Jesus and uh, being moved to pity, to have compassion, but not just a feeling of emotion here. Even it's a feeling of I'm gonna, I've got to do something about this. Right. When Jesus and, and the the image that you put there, that's in the hymn, you know, his heart is moved, is very much in the Greek word that's there. The Greek word has the the effect of your like your gut goes out to someone, or your heart. That's the expression we still have. Your heart goes out to someone. And, and we see that emotion in Jesus several times in the Gospels. 
We see that emotion of God in the Old Testament as well, that, that his heart is moved in mercy, in compassion. Now, you've, you've got here in your notes, Pastor Vandercook, a variant reading in this verse? Yeah, you know, occasionally occasionally the Greek text will have a variant reading, which means that one of the Greek manuscripts that we, uh, you know, of course, we have these groups of manuscripts or, or collections of manuscripts that we put together to, to uh uh, to get our um, complete version of various books of the Bible. Uh, and, you know, 99.9% of these really don't amount to uh, changing the meaning of, of anything. This one is an interesting variant that's included. It, it actually has a word that means having become angry instead of having pity, which seems like the complete opposite emotion. Um, but, it, 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 you know, it's interesting just to, to ponder, why would Jesus be angry here? Uh, and, you know, he could be angry for a couple different reasons. He could be angry because there's a, um, uh, you know, again, the effects of sin, um, you know, and the, effects, uh, and, and the fact that Satan has ravaged this man's body. It could be that type of anger. Or, you know, it could be, hey, you know, this guy is interrupting me, you know. Uh, I, I, I don't think I, it seems very likely that that's the case. Um, but, you know, you have these, it's an interesting variant to consider nonetheless. And it especially, whenever we get forward, we move along, move along a little further to verse 43, we'll see maybe why that variant might make sense. Um, not that I think that it's, it, that the original text actually had that, this variant in it, but, uh, you can see how it would fit with verse 43. And sometimes those variants become incorporated into the text simply because they seem to make more sense in context with other words. And this is perhaps one of those examples where uh, this this other word was put there because somebody said, no, 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 this makes more sense to put here than the other word. So with with that in mind, we will pick up the actual healing. How does Jesus actually do this on the other side of the break? You're listening to Sharp Iron here on KFUL. We'll be right back. Please stick around. What does it mean to live the Christian life? Reaching out in mercy to our neighbors, receiving our Lord's gifts in worship, and proclaiming His truth to the world. The Lutheran Church Extension Fund comes alongside churches and individuals to help them live out this beautiful Christian life every day. This year, we have a ripe opportunity to bring Christ to a hurting world. Discover the role you can play in this great work. Call 800-843-5233 or visit lcef.org. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, January 18th. We're studying Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. We've got Pastor David Vandercook with us. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and Shepherd of Peace Lutheran Church in Maumel, Arkansas. Pastor Vandercook, prior to the break, we were talking about the compassion of Jesus, which moves him to stretch out his hand and touch the leper, which... Man, he wasn't supposed to do that, I thought, Pastor Vandercook. No, he wasn't. Uh, you know, first of all, that uh, the leper should not have been approaching him, shouldn't have been anywhere near him. Uh, but now you have Jesus actually taking it a step further and actually stretching out his hand and touching the man. 
So it shows that, you know, Jesus' response, the response of the of the Jews at that day, especially the leadership of the Jews during that day, was uh, to avoid sin, uh, to avoid death. You were not to come into contact with it. And Jesus here is showing just the opposite. He actually is making a direct and intentional contact with sin and death. Because again, as we talked about, leprosy is um, leprosy is a uh, is not just a physical condition condition <clears throat> condition, but it's also a spiritual condition. And so you have Jesus here who is breaking the mold here of how how do we respond to sin and death. Jesus instead is. Um, connecting himself to it in a way that just was not done and wasn't supposed to be done. And so it shows that uh, he's going to handle this differently than what's been done in the past. It's a, it's a bringing in of, a, of, of the reign of God and entering in of the reign of God, and this is how it's going to work now. Well, and what, what ends up happening is the opposite of what would have happened otherwise. So normally, if someone was unclean and then you touched that unclean person their uncleanness transferred to you. But here you've got the opposite happening, where you've got Jesus, who is the Holy One of God, touching the unclean person, and his holiness overpowers that uncleanness, if I can say it like that. It's it's the opposite thing happening. Yeah, it is. Well, it's like the, you know, it's it's really, it's it's another example of the great exchange, that mm-hmm. you have... Jesus, who is taking upon himself the uh, the sin and the death, and he, in exchange, is giving life and light to uh, to this leper here. You know, taking the sin away from him, taking it onto himself, and in exchange, giving that leper, uh, yeah, as you said, his holiness uh, and his cleanness. With this matter of physical touch that Jesus gives to this leper, can we make a a sacramental? connection as we think about the ways that our Lord comes to us in physical ways still? Oh, I think absolutely. And, you know, that's probably one of the things that uh, is that we're at risk of losing, let's say, during our, our current day um, context that we find our church in right now, uh, is that while while it is possible, you know, to to hear the gospel with our ears as we uh, listen on a listen to a recording, or we watch the TV or something like that, and we can actually see things as we see a video or something like that. We lose that that physical connection, which is something that our Lord intended for us to have as we gather together as His people. Uh, he comes to us not in abstractions, but rather in very specific and physical means, where He's delivering to us, uh, you know water in the Word, bread and wine, and so forth. He's attaching His Word of promise to these things, and there is that that physical connection uh, that is there. Uh, yeah, I mean, there is there's certainly something that's lost whenever we don't have those types of physical connections, and, and you certainly see Jesus using that in the way in which He, again, reaches out His hand, touches the leper. He doesn't just kind of wave at the leper or say some words to him. He actually physically touches him. Uh, and you know, our current uh, fear—I mean, I, I don't want to advocate, obviously, carelessness when it comes to the way that we respond to uh, disease and virus and so forth in in our current uh, in our current uh, COVID-19 age that we're in. But um, 
but I do, I do fear that sometimes we fall way too far off on the other side of this, where we're so afraid of this contact that we're, we're losing something that was once there, uh, where we can't um, physically touch people anymore. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're coming out of the Christmas season, and even in the Epiphany season, that same thing is there, that the Word became flesh. There, God, God took on our humanity. He I mean, you can't get any closer than the word becoming flesh. There's, there's no closer contact, and and here we see the word made flesh, touching flesh to flesh, one who was sick, one who was unclean, and, and again, not to advocate silliness or carelessness, but to recognize the humanity of of each other, and that's part of that is having flesh, having blood, having a body, and the need for Physical contact is real, and and what grace our Lord shows in giving us the very physical way of coming to us, as you said, in, in his body and blood that we receive in the bread and wine, in the water and word that is poured over our heads, and in, indeed in the in the body of Christ, his church, in the, the communion that we share as saints gathered together around his word. When that's not there, again, you can hear the word, but but something's missing. And if we don't recognize at least that something's missing, then then maybe we're falling off too far on the other side, like you said. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So Jesus then, I mean, he he touches him and he speaks the word, I will be clean. This is simply a direct answer to the man's prayer. And wow, verse 42, it happens immediately. Take us into this this healing, Pastor Vandercook. Yeah, again, there's no delay in the healing. Uh, you know, as you said, it's the really the exact same wording even as the previous verse, just you know, slightly different tenses because a different person is speaking. But uh, the um, uh, you know, when he heals him, it is an immediate process. And again, not to dwell too long on the the healing process that was outlined in uh, Leviticus 13, but it's really involved. Uh, it takes it takes a, a quite a bit amount of time to be declared clean. And Jesus is saying right away here, be clean. And that word in particular that he uses when he says, um, be clean, is actually the same word that was used in the uh, Septuagint, the um, Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament, that was always used in the context of ritual, prescribed ritual healing, or prescribed healings for cleanliness, or, or I'm sorry, rituals for clean, clean, cleanliness. I was getting my words all mixed up. But uh, uh, but here, Jesus is doing this outside of the priestly function. Uh, you know, there is no, there's no priest here. Um, he's, he's making the declaration here that this man is clean. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an immediate thing. There's no delay. Um, uh, the leprosy is gone. So, I mean, we see Jesus taking the place of the priest in that sense. There's no priest here other than than Jesus. He's the one. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which, which then I, I think, so that's that's where the text then takes a, I don't know, a strange turn. Because now you, you've got Jesus, and I know there's that textual variant that, that we can talk about again, but you've got Jesus moved with his compassion and pity to will that this man be clean. He gives it to him. And then Mark tells us now in verse 43, Jesus sternly charges him, sends him away, says, don't say anything, go to the priest. It's like, <laughs> there's a bit of confusion here, Pastor Vandercook. What, I mean, and there's lots to talk about. Yeah. Well, 
Start yeah, with well, Jesus' I sternness, I guess. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I think, first of all, you kind of have to let the text stand without trying to figure out why did Mark have this weird little shift all of a sudden. And I mean, it, it, there's really no getting around it. It really is a very forceful shift because you have a couple verses earlier, you have Jesus having pity, having compassion. And then all of a sudden it's, and now he's sternly charging and he's um, really forcefully sending out, you know, our, our English translation really smooths that out probably a little bit too much. Uh, but it's basically, he threw the guy out, you know, well, why is he throwing the guy out here all of a sudden? You know, I thought that he was showing compassion to him. And now he turns around and says, now, Hey, I, you know, now that you're here, get out of my sight, you know, now that you're healed, <laughs> you know, and it's, it is a strange little shift there. Um, but, um, but at any rate, you know, there is a, uh, uh, um, you know, it's it's normal for Mark to do this. Uh, we have Jesus behaving oddly in the book of Mark uh, in, in more than one place. Another example of some odd behavior is when Jesus is walking on water past his disciples in Mark 6, and, and he just pretends like he's going to walk past them or something like that. Well, why does Jesus act like that? And, and I don't know that we really necessarily have a clear answer all the time. Uh, we just kind of have to uh, uh, go with the text on it. Let Jesus be Jesus, in other words. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, so he's he's not always going to act according to the way that we think he should. But, I mean, he certainly has got a, a reason for it. So he sternly charges the man, sends him away, throws him out, and he sends him out, throws him out with this charge. Don't say anything. Well, goodness, see that you say nothing to anyone. It's hard to, to put into English. In Greek, it's even more forceful. Yeah, uh, see that you say nothing to nobody. You know, it's a double. It's like a double negative. Uh, well, it is a double negative. But uh, you know, double negatives in English, of course, we always uh, we don't use those, or it's seen as a you know you're uneducated if you use double negatives or something like that. But uh, a double negative in Greek just adds to the negativity of it. So if if you put two negatives together, it's even more negative than one negative. So you know the root. Perhaps the reason for Jesus' sternness there is just simply that, hey, he's got a really important thing to say to this guy now. You know, now that I've healed you, and it's good that I've healed you, you're clean. But look, this is really important. You can't say anything to anybody, you know. Um, and it, it's it's a strange command, but uh, yeah. Right. And we see Jesus doing this elsewhere in the Gospel of Mark. Sometimes it's labeled in Mark's gospel, this idea of a, a messianic secret. I'm not sure that that's the best label in the world for it, but sometimes you'll, you will see Jesus say this to various people, don't tell anyone right now. And so this man gets that, but he, it's not that he's simply not to broadcast it, but he's actually, Jesus gives him a positive command. He says, instead, go show yourself to the priest, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. Now, there's there's two things I think we could talk about here, Pastor Vandercook. I'll let you pick. One is that, you know, we've been saying this man isn't really following the law of Moses in terms of going to Jesus, asking for cleansing. Jesus here tells him to follow the law of Moses. That's one thing. Jesus, on the one hand, is showing himself to be the true priest, but then he sends them, he sends this man to the priests. And then the other thing, I think, and maybe these things go together, Jesus says, for a proof to them. Who's the who's the them that Jesus wants to offer a proof? 
Well, you know, I think I think when you look at Jesus' command to go and show him to the priest, you know, we have to keep in mind that Jesus is not an advocate for throwing out the entirety of the law of God, for the law of Moses. Uh, you know, he makes that clear like in Matthew 5, which we referenced earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, you know, that he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. And so this is an evidence of that as well, that he does not wish to completely abolish the law of God. He instead wants to abide by it. And the fact is that while Jesus has taken care of the leprosy, that man is not considered by the community to be clean because he still hasn't gone to the priest and offered the correct sacrifice and uh, and presented himself in the way that's necessary to the priest. And so that needs to happen in order for that to be there. So if Jesus were not to tell him to go and show himself to the priest, he would show himself to be basically a rogue, to be somebody that is going rogue, going against the, the law of God and saying, hey, you don't need the law of God anymore because I'm better than the law of God, which is true. Jesus is, uh, uh, in a sense, is uh, superseding the law, but he's not abolishing it, but he's fulfilling it. It's, mm-hmm. There's a difference. I think you see a similar thing at play in the way Jesus acts on the Sabbath. And and we'll come to this later in Mark's Gospel. In fact, in the very next chapter, he'll have a a couple of things to say about the Sabbath. And we've already seen it in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus goes to a synagogue on the Sabbath. So the hearing of the Word of God on the Sabbath, according to the law that God had given, that was clearly important. And yet you also see Jesus... You know, superseding, particularly the traditions that were associated with that, in terms of what he did or didn't do on the Sabbath. And and perhaps there's a similar thing at play here, and like in Luke 17 that we've mentioned as well, when it comes to Jesus' interactions with lepers. He's not throwing out the law of God, he's fulfilling it, and yet he's doing it in ways that are unique to who he is as the Son of God in our humanity. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. Well, and the other thing about, you talked about that section of the verse that we're on right now, where he talks about showing them a proof. That proof that he's showing them uh, is that, look, this healing has occurred, and it's it's occurred at my hand. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah, and I'm bringing in a new era. But I'm not doing it in such a way that is just uh, you know, blatantly throwing out everything you guys are doing. I'm just showing you that the way that God operates in this new era as the reign of God is breaking in through the person of me is is different than the way that it's worked in the past. Mm. I think that's a, a great point. So that the the proof that is given in this man is that he has been healed of his leprosy, he can rejoin the community, but it is also a proof about who Jesus is as well. Right, yeah. That's kind of how I, I was. That's the direction I was going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's. I think that's. That's really good. So Jesus gives this command to the man: Don't say anything to anyone. Go show yourself to the priest. Offer the cleansing as the proof. And then the man doesn't. <laughs> he he goes out and begins to talk freely about it. And and I I I've faced this question in Bible class before. And and I don't honestly remember how I answered it. But the the question was. Well, Jesus said to do that. The man did the opposite. 
But what the man did was tell other people about Jesus, which is generally something we think is a good thing. So was the man right or wrong? How do we how do we deal with something like that, Pastor Vandercook? Yeah, I'm not sure that the I'm not sure that the text is going to give us a clear answer as to whether we have uh, a, a right or a wrong thing happening here. But I mean, the bottom line is that the man does not tell nobody nothing. Instead, he tells everybody everything, uh, and he he spreads that word. And the result of this is that um, you know you now have Jesus, who was the one who was previously able to go everywhere. He was able to go into the synagogue. He was able to proclaim the incoming reign of God. He was able to heal those who came to him for healing. He was able to do all of that, and he was able to do all of it in the open. And he's approached by a leper, a leper who can't do anything in the open, a leper who has to be quarantined, who is completely separated from the people, has to live in isolation. And basically, they trade places because of this. Now, Jesus is the one who has to live in isolation because uh, what's happening is that the people are coming to him from all over the place, and they're they're crowding in him around him. is making it very difficult for him to carry out the ministry that he was carrying out before. So I think getting to the question of was the guy right in broadcasting this or not, um, the most obvious answer is no, I suppose, because you look at it and it's it's basically seems to be ignoring uh, this this direct command from Jesus, don't tell anything to anybody. Well, now why would Jesus say something like that? Well, it's, it might just be as simple as he's trying to control the popularity here a little bit. Um, you know, if, if this man broadcasts it, how is he going to broadcast it? And how is Jesus going to come off? Jesus goal is always to give glory to the father. That's, that's, that's what he's there to do. He is there to point the finger at God, the father because uh, he is the manifestation of God there on earth, but he's always wanting to put glory on God the Father. What Jesus does not want is he does not want to be known as a man who can do miracles and nothing more. And it's quite possible that that is what's being broadcast, and that's what Jesus is trying to control. Yeah, I mean, we've we talked about this at some length at, on other shows when it comes to Jesus silencing people. And we, we tend to connect it back to the very first verse of Mark, where Mark identifies Jesus right away as the Son of God. And you don't get that confession of Jesus as the Son of God from human lips again until the centurion confesses it of Jesus as he dies on the cross. So that in in a case like this, yeah, I, I think that's a that seems to me a reasonable way of looking at it. That Jesus says this because he wants people to know him as the Son of God, primarily as the one who dies in their place on the cross. Not that his miracles are unimportant, or not that they aren't a, a precursor of the resurrection, as we were talking about earlier. But that if you if you see him as a miracle worker apart from the cross you're not going to see him as the Son of God that he truly is. And so, in that sense, you know, his command to tell no one nothing makes sense. Now, this man, you know, I mean, and that's, I don't know, again, as you said, I don't know if the, the text actually answers the question, was the man right or wrong? He did what he did. Whether this man was was right or wrong, we should recognize that the command that Jesus gave to this man was a command given to this man specifically. And this text would have nothing to say about you or me or any Christian 
speaking about Jesus openly and publicly. That's something that God has given to his church to do still today, is to proclaim the good news about Jesus. So yeah, that, that's kind of a, a, you know, I don't know if the text actually answers that question or not. The the bigger point, though, I, I really I want you to dig into that a little bit more, is this exchange that Jesus makes. The like Jesus takes the leper's place, it seems, by the end of this text. The leper now gets to go and, and live among society, and Jesus is is out in the desolate places. They've they've switched places. You've got this great exchange coming in. You use that term, Pastor Vandercook. Give us more of the the theology that's there. Well, you know, the great exchange as it applies to us is simply this, that Christ takes upon himself our sin, uh, and he takes that sin to the cross, and he dies. And in exchange, he gives to us the righteousness that he earns at the cross, uh, and that righteousness is, is distribu- distributed to us through the means of grace, uh, through word and sacrament. And so we have that great exchange. And yeah, I think that this uh, this this illustration here, this this account of the um, uh, this account of the leper, uh, illustrates that well. This exchange that Christ has with us, we who are outcasts, who are separated from God because of our sin have been brought near to him because he has uh, reached out to us and laid his hands on us, so to speak, um, in word and sacrament, and brought us into community with him, uh, into a relationship with him. Uh, And now um, we are no longer isolated and separated from God, but rather we are uh, brought together with him. We've got just under five minutes here, Pastor Vandercker, because you think about this text as a whole, what are some of the connections that we can make to to the catechism? It's always helpful, I think, to to look at the catechism, to connect that to the scriptures, the way that the catechism teaches us to confess the scriptures. How do we see that in this text from Mark 1? Well, first of all, is the proper use of the name of God, uh, which we have addressed in the um, second commandment, as well as in the uh, first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, where we look at how do we use God's name. Uh, we call upon God's name in every trouble. We pray praise and we give thanks. Um, and, you know, we um, God's name is kept holy uh, when the Word of God is taught its truth and purity, and we as the children of God lead holy lives according to it. Um, but I guess primarily then the, the second commandment is what we'll be looking at. But the second commandment, you know, teaches us that we are, in fact, to use the name of God and that he wants us to use his name. He wants us to call upon him in the day of trouble, and he will answer us. And that's what we see this leper doing, is he recognizes that Jesus is the one who can heal him. Now, do we do we know for sure that he knows that's God? Well, no, but the, I suppose we don't. Uh, but the fact is that he does call upon the right person here, because uh, he knows that Jesus can do something about it. As he said at the beginning of this, you are able to heal me. Uh, and so we, in the same way, we cry out to God when we are in need and in trouble, uh, because we know that he is able to do what is necessary for us. What other parts of the catechism could we connect? we got three minutes. You can give me at least one oh, more. Oh, sure, yeah. We talked about the uh, third petition above a little bit, and just the idea that, the, you know, we talk about the will of God and what is the will of God. Uh, and, you know, God does reveal his will to us in his word. Um, beyond that, we don't always know what the will of God is, but rather, whenever we pray to God, we acknowledge the fact that God's will will be done. 
That is, what God desires to be done is what's going to happen, and we submit ourselves to that will. We recognize that maybe the thing that I'm praying for is not going to happen immediately. Maybe the healing that I want isn't going to come. Maybe the uh, this thing that I think is good may not actually be good, even though it looks good from every angle that I can possibly look at. Maybe God is saying right now is not the time. Uh, and so that is the way that the the man that we see here, this leper, approaches Jesus. He acknowledges the fact that he indeed may not be healed that very day, uh, but he recognizes the fact that Jesus is able to do it. And he, but he but he still recognizes that uh, the will of God must be done. Uh, uh, not not his will. And then you look at the fifth commandment, uh, the fifth commandment, which deals with the physical needs of our neighbor. Jesus shows us how to keep the fifth commandment here, uh, and that is that we um, we care for our neighbor and their physical need. Now, of course, we, we don't have the power to instantaneously heal people as as Jesus could, but we see the compassion of Jesus, and that is part of keeping the fifth commandment, that uh, we are moved to uh, do what we can to aid our neighbor in their physical need. Uh, and we see that in Jesus as well in his reaction to this man. Pastor David Vandercook is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and Shepherd of Peace Lutheran Church in Maw Mill, Arkansas, helping us today with Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. Pastor Vandercook, thanks for being our guest today. I'm happy to be here. Jesus had compassion. His heart was moved for this man under the effects of sin and illness. And so he has compassion for you and for me. He has come. He has touched us in his word, in his sacrament, to give us the forgiveness of sins and resurrection on the last day. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.